you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. What's up, Movement Church family? Hey, my wife and my kids and I are on vacation right now, and we're kicking off a brand new series, and it's such an important series that I wanted to be uh, the one to kick it off. I've got some great insight and and, and thoughts that are just for you, and so I'm excited about this. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Whether you're online right now or you're at our in-person campus, Man, don't tune out because we're on a screen. Lean in and expect God to do something great. But before I even dive into the message today, man, one of the things that makes the Movement Church amazing are is you. Is you, are you. Is, is, and are you. It's the people. But what makes the people of the Movement Church great is the fact that you're committed to authentic relationships. And at the Movement Church, those authentic relationships happen within connect groups. And so we're about to kick off a connect group semester, but in order for our semester to kick off, we're asking and calling on those of you that have been in groups before, would you lead a group? We're looking for connect group leaders. And here's what we don't need you to do. We don't need you to have a biblical degree in theology. Uh, We don't need you to have uh, countless hours of pastoral insight and wisdom. We just need you to be available uh, to create a space where you can gather around people. And then also you can follow curriculum and things like that. We'll give you all the tools that you need, but here's the thing. If you'll be available and say yes, and spend just a few weeks investing your life into the lives of other people, it's amazing what God can do when you simply say yes. So you don't have to have all the insight in the world, just simply say yes. If you're interested, follow the prompts right now on the screen. We'll give you more information. You can even just check it out to see if it's right for you. The only prerequisites are you gotta be a follower of Jesus and you have to be in a group. So I'm telling you, click follow the prompts on the screen right now. It's gonna be amazing. We're excited about what God's gonna do this semester and it's gonna happen because you simply say yes. Well, listen, let's dive into our sermon today. Uh, This series is called The Beautiful Exchange. And what's fun about this series is we kicked this off right before COVID blew up and changed the world. And we had to stop the series in the middle. So we wanted to come back and do the exchange remix, beautiful edition. So I'm excited. It's going to be fun. But this is all about the book of Romans, which is like a massively important book for all followers of Jesus. In fact, uh, often scholars refer refer to it as the great Christian manifesto. And it was Paul's greatest writings that he, he, he penned through, through the influence and the breath of the Holy Spirit. And it contains these huge theological revelations of God's nature and his plan for salvation. And, and the heart behind it is Paul has this desire that, that, that we as Christians would grow to greater Christian spiritual maturity. And that's what this series is about. It's about you and I growing in our spiritual depth and in our spiritual maturity. And so I want you to lean in in this series. It's the most systematically sustained theological writing that Paul ever penned, and it survived through thousands of years. And here's what's important, though. It's important to understand the reason Paul wrote Romans. Now, we know theologically and historically that it was written between 50 and 65 A.D., And uh, so we're talking about a few years after Jesus 
uh, his death, burial, and resurrection. But this is kind of Paul's intent and heart behind writing Romans. Let me just kind of kick it off right this, and then we'll pray and dive into the message. Romans chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 says this, I myself am satisfied about you. That's a good way to start it off. He's saying, man, I'm proud of you to the church in Rome. And I'm proud of you, the Christians in Rome. I'm proud of you. And I think that's God's heart for you today. Look at this. I am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. And then Paul kind of turns the corner here. Verse 15. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God. What Paul is saying is, I'm proud of you. You're on the right track, but I want to remind you of who you are. I'm proud of you. You're on the right track, but I want to remind you of who you are. And I just think that's what the, the Word of God is for us today. That God wants to remind us of who we are and where we're going and His intent for our heart. So I want to challenge you, lean in during this series, and uh, let's see what God's gonna do. Uh, let me pray and we'll kick this thing off. God, we just thank you that you're in this place. We look to you as the author and the perfecter of our faith. God, we're asking that you would move in and through us right here, right now, as I come to our people from my home. And we just ask that you do the miraculous. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Well, hey, I forgot to tell you, I'm coming to you from my home. So welcome to my home. And, and listen, I, I've said this a couple of times, but lean in. God wants to do some things and, and take some notes. We're going to dive into this right here, right now. And Paul, uh, he's trying to dive in. He, he wants to hit on theology. He wants to talk about sanctification and justification. He wants to take Christians to a deeper spiritual understanding and maturity. He, he, he doesn't want to dive into silly, uh, off-the-side issues, but he has to. He has to deal with this pastoral issue. There's problems in the church in Rome. That's where the book of Romans is written to, the church in Rome, and there's problems. He wants to talk about the, the deeper understanding of who God is, but he has to deal with a stupid, petty issue. And you know what it is? People want to eat different foods. Yes, that's the problem. It was the food that people were eating that was dividing the church and causing major problems. So I want to dive into this because it actually matters for our, our context today. It matters for what the book of Romans is, is, is built around. So I want to dive into this. Look, let, let's look at the history uh, of, of Rome and let's look at the history specifically in relation to Christianity and Jews and Gentiles. And so what we're going to do is push pause and we're going to backtrack quite a few hundred, in fact, thousands of years. So to kind of kick things off, God makes a covenant with uh, one of the chief characters in the Bible. His name is Abraham. And, and he says, hey, I'm going to make you my people. He said, I've chosen you. And so he gives, says three things. I've set you apart. In other words, I'm going to do something in you that's different from other people. And, and, and you're going to have a different lifestyle. And you're going to walk in different ways. And, and you're going to do different things. And then he says, from your lineage, I'm going to bring the Savior of the world. So Jesus is going to come through your lineage. And then he says, I'll give you a promised land. Now this happened thousands of years before the book of Romans was written. So he says, I will set you apart. 
And what set them apart? There's many different things. There was the food that they ate set them apart. He said, you can't eat pork and you can't eat this and that. And, and you're going to focus in on a few specific things. He also said, where and how you worship will set you apart. And also he talks about some things that are a little bit uncomfortable, which we actually will hit on a little bit in this series. He says circumcision will set you apart. That's not a fun topic to talk about in church, but he says this is going to set you apart. And then what he did is after he said, I'll set you apart, he gave them the law. He said, here is the law and it's just for you, but it wasn't enough for them. They just kept adding to it. And that's what the human condition does. The human condition says what God says isn't enough. And Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Because the human condition says that what God says isn't enough. See, God gave the Hebrews and humanity 10 commandments. I know you know about the 10 commandments, but that wasn't enough. There was 603 additional commandments, 613 laws all surrounded, but the religious leaders added thousands of additional laws to that. It was insane. Of, of the things that God said, here, this is for you, the religious leaders of the day added thousands of laws to it. For example, there is a, a, a law, you, you've heard it, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, it's commandment number four. Well, that wasn't enough for the religious leaders of the day, because that meant they weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. But in order to clarify what work means, they created 39 separate categories to define what does work mean. And within these 39 categories were subcategories, which means there are thousands of rules regarding not working on the Sabbath. I know you're going, what does this have to do with anything? Well, let me give you an example. Uh, because you couldn't work on the Sabbath, you, you couldn't carry stacks of paper but you might need to write. So you could carry a single piece of paper and you couldn't carry a jug of water or a jug of milk because that would be work in preparation for the week to come, but you would get thirsty. So you could carry a cup of water. But if you were to carry a jug of water, you would break the Sabbath and that would be a problem. And literally they, they had a certain law based upon the number of steps one could take on the Sabbath. Now that wasn't from God. This is what men added to it and it seems silly but we do the same thing all the time we say that what god says isn't enough god says that sex is reserved for the marriage bed but but we say that sex is reserved for when and where i want it god says bring the whole tithe to the local church and we say obviously god didn't live in orange county we, we, we say, well, I don't know if I'm, I'm really on board with that principle, God. God says, be obedient even when it hurts. But we say, I'll be obedient when it's convenient. The human condition says that what God says isn't enough. We take what God says and, and we stretch it and we mold it and we shape it into what we want and what we need. And, and the New Testament Jews were great at this. They were great at overcomplicating, but it actually unintentionally diluted God's plan. So, so they overcomplicated God's plan 
and therefore diluted his intention for human flourishing. And we do this over and over again. I was raised in a very legalistic, very strict household. Uh, My mom and dad, both believers, both followers of Jesus, and they had very strict regulations for how we were allowed to act. I couldn't listen to music that wasn't Christian. I wasn't allowed to date my wife. I couldn't go to dances. Literally, my dad was like the dad in the movie Footloose. And their heart and intention was great. They were trying to prevent me from experiencing pain and baggage that they had walked through but they were adding so many complications to life that it actually had the reverse effect. We often dilute God's plan by choosing which principles apply to me. We like to pick and choose which portions of the scripture apply to me and which ones don't. And the New Testament Jews were professionals at setting up boundaries which kept anyone who did not follow the laws that God set up at bay. So what they did is they created what I would refer to as pharisaical circles that said, if you don't adhere to these things, then you have no right to even be with us. They they, they built walls which separated Jews from everyone else. And if you weren't a Jew, then they would call call you or refer to you as a Gentile. So if you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile, and Gentiles were reprobates, and they had nothing to do with them, and they were going straight to the pit of hell immediately. But Jesus changed all that. He changed the narrative. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus tore down the walls that, we, that humanity built up to separate each other, and he tore down these walls over and over and over again. Jesus' longest recorded conversation with any human was with the Samaritan woman who was a Gentile. His longest recorded conversation. In fact, there was a moment where a centurion who was not a Jew, he was a Roman soldier, came up to Jesus and asked him to heal his servant. And Jesus said, absolutely, I will go to your house. And the centurion said, no, no, no. I I know you have authority. You just speak the words and I know she'll be healed. We see this in Matthew 8. Listen to this. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, we're tearing down the walls. Jesus removed everything that separated any human from his love, mercy, and grace. In Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to Cornelius' houses, and he was a Gentile as well. And the entire household got saved over and over and over again we see God just stripping away everything that divides humanity. Now, there's two different groups of people at the Church of Rome with different backgrounds, but under the same banner of faith. So when Paul is writing to the Church of Rome, he's writing to people with a Jewish background who are now Christians and a Gentile background who are now Christians, They're both together in the same church with different heritage, different lineage, but under the same banner of salvation in Jesus. It's beautiful if you think about it. What could possibly go wrong? Well, everything went wrong. That's why Paul is writing the book of Romans. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a moment and unpack the sociological temperature in Rome at the time of the writing of the book of Romans. So we're going to just kind of back up a couple hundred years. In 139 BC, there was this great expulsion of the Jews. 
So Rome kicked out all the Jews of Rome uh, in 139 BC, about 200 years earlier, because they were becoming militant in their faith. They were militant with conversion. And, and Romans didn't, didn't care about what you believe. They just said, don't be pushy with your faith. They said, hey, we all worship the emperor first, and then after that, you're cool. Does it sound familiar? So it said, hey, listen, as long as you're not pushy with your faith, you're fine. So in 139 BC, the Jews became militant with their faith, and Romans were like, nah, you're out. They kicked them out of Rome. Well, then, uh, a little bit later, they're allowed to come back in. And then fast forward AD 19. So this is 19 years after the birth of Jesus. Okay, we're fast forwarding back in time, uh, forward in time, back to the future, as I should say. Tiberius, again, one of the emperors, kicks the Jews out of Rome. And then after a few years, he allows them back in. Well, then Jesus is now on the scene. His ministry is going awesome, right? He's preaching the good news. He is the good news. He dies for the sins of humanity. He's buried and is risen from the grave. He ascends into heaven. He commissions his followers, go preach the gospel, make disciples. But before you do that, go into Jerusalem and wait. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So then the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost. The disciples are gathered, about 120 of them, in a house. The presence of God shows up. He does the miraculous, and they are filled with boldness and courage, and they run out and they preach the gospel. Peter is commissioned to preach the very first sermon in the brand new established church of Jesus Christ. People get saved. They've come from all over to Jerusalem. They get saved. This is a new life, a new beginning, a fresh start, and then they go back to their homes. So you have Jews who are in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. They get saved, then they go back to Rome, and now they have a new life, this new beginning, a fresh start. But they do what every one of us tend to do. They returned right back to their religious laws and rites and ceremonies. And the reason is the human condition does what it's always done. And not only does it say that what God says isn't enough, the human condition does what it's always done. So here we have these Jews who have this fresh revelation of who Jesus is, an encounter with the presence of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. They go back to Rome. This is a new life, a new beginning, but they go right back to the way that they used to live. And we see, Rome, we see Paul talking about this in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged, look, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. In other words, they returned right back to the religious ceremonies and rites and rules and regulations that they'd created before. And that's what the human condition does. Now, I don't know how many of you are, are, are pet lovers out there. I talk about my dog all the time. She should be kind of world famous by now. She's an 85-pound black lab. And man, the other day, my daughter Avery decided to bake some cookies, and she spent all afternoon baking some cookies. They smelled amazing, and we could not wait to eat them. And she decided to let them cool. We were going to go grab some dinner, then come back. But unfortunately, she left the cookies out on the counter. And I think you know where this is going. We get home, and... 
The cooling rack is on the ground and there is nothing but a trail of crumbs leading to Lucy who's laying very fat and heavy on the floor and she had devoured every single cookie. Now, now you, you might be thinking, oh, you guys are horrible pet owners. Well, stop judging me and, and, and listen. You, you might also be thinking, well, you know, that's just what happens. Sometimes dogs do that. You know, we would, we would have been upset at her if this was the first time that she had done that. We would have been upset if this was the second or the third or the 15th time that she's done that. But this is something Lucy does all the time. In fact, one time we came home and she had devoured an entire bag of individually wrapped Hershey's chocolate kisses. And you would think that chocolate kisses would hurt and kill a dog, but no. Lucy's stomach is literally made of steel. The only thing that was problematic is that she had aluminum foil lodged in her esophagus, so for two weeks, she would bark like this. She sounded like Wheezy from Toy Story. We thought she was going to die, but she survived, and we don't know how except for the fact that that dog cannot die. She's like the dog who lived. She's the Harry Potter of the dog community, and we can't even get mad when she devours food that's left out. Why? Because she's a canine. And that's the canine condition. It's what she does. It's who she is. And you and I are not too far off. In fact, we repeatedly choose destructive patterns. And then we regret it. And then we try to change. And after a while, we stop paying attention to the choices, the healthy choices we were making, and we slowly drift. And then we repeat. Proverbs talks about this. It says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. We make poor choices. We regret it. We change. We drift. And we repeat. And listen, we, we want the benefits that God offers, the challenges. We just want, don't want to be obedient to his principles. Let me say that again. I think most people would, would, would say, honestly, I, I want the benefits of the blessings of God. I just really struggle to be obedient to his principles. The problem is we can't pick and choose when it comes to the nature of God. And then what happens when we do this is we get mad at God, but not until life hits and chaos sweeps in or crisis happens or we hit the chaotic potholes of life. And then we wonder, God, where are you? Why haven't you been faithful? Where have you been? But God's like, no, no, I thought you, you just wanted to do you, boo-boo. You, you had a plan. You decided to follow your own way. You didn't want to listen to my principles. You just wanted my blessings. You didn't want to be obedient to the truth that's found in my word. You wanted to be selective of what you chose to listen and obey. And as a result, I just stepped back and let you live your life. And now that life has happened, you want me back in. But don't say that I'm not faithful. And I just think that that is the human condition, as we do what we've always done. And before I, I go any further, I want to take a moment, just pause right here and tell you, if that's you, if you're finding yourself in the cycle of these uh, bad choices and destructive patterns in your life, well, the step one would be to identify it. Step two, surrender it so that God can redeem it. And that's what he's in the business of doing, is redeeming. Redeeming means to restore us to our original intent. That's God's heart for you. And I just want to challenge you, if you're there, identify it and surrender it. But let's jump back in 
to the story and, and, and where Romans is kind of uh, coming from. What's the context for why Paul is writing Romans? What, what's the sociological temperature happening in Rome? We've got these expulsions of the Jews in, in 139 BC, and then they're let to, allowed to come back into Rome. And then again in AD 19, they're expo- expelled, like kicked out, get out of here. And then they come back in. And, and, and then guess what happens? Jesus shows up. He, he is the good news. They get saved. They go back to Rome. But listen, in 49 AD, the next emperor, Claudius, kicks the Jews out again. So think about this. Three expulsions in about 200 years. Anti-Semitism in Rome is running rampant. The Roman church before 49 AD was full of, of Jewish traditions and culture and religious rites. So before 49 AD, the, the church in Rome is full of Jewish traditions. Then Claudius kicks out the Jews again and the Jewish ritual fades. A new emperor shows up and he allows the Jews back into Rome. So they go back home and of course go back to their church. And when they show up, they lose their minds. They lose their minds. Why? Because the people who were there have a Gentile heritage. They didn't grow up doing Jewish things. The Jews come back into Rome and they did what they normally do in church. Church was centered around food, which it always should be. The greatest things in life is Jesus and food. Can I get an amen? There's a few other things that are great too. But that's what happened. They would gather and they would sit down and have dinner. So the Jews and the Gentiles, both under the banner of Jesus, show up at the church and they sit down to have dinner. Now, remember, what made a Jew a Jew is what set them apart. The things that they could eat, how they would worship, circumcision, and other things like this. They now experience a new life in Jesus, but because of the human condition, they do what they've always done. And there were certain foods they could not eat, so they show up at a potluck dinner, and some of the people who did not have a Jewish heritage are dominating some bacon. Come on, somebody. All snap, throw some bacon on it. I mean, this is literally what they're doing. They're eating pork sausage and bacon, and the Jews lose their mind. They say, you can't have bacon! And the Gentiles who are Christians are taking a bite of their burger. And they're saying, are you kidding me? Have you ever had bacon on your cheeseburger? And they freak out over food. And there's this major disunity. And people are like, forget the church. I'm out. This is stupid. Over food. People are leaving the church, turning their back on God over food. I mean, think about how silly this is. They're putting conditions on salvation. They're putting conditions on what is acceptable in the heart of God. They're adding to what God has already created for you and for me. But the biggest challenge is they're putting conditions on salvation. And that's exactly what the human condition does. It places conditions on salvation. And I think the reason is because you and I don't fully understand unconditional love. We want to. And, and we want to we write cute notes to our boyfriend or our girlfriend or our spouse and, and say, I love you unconditionally. Or say, hey, you complete me. And we want to think 
that we understand unconditional love, but we just really don't get it because we look at love as a commodity to be traded. In other words, we, we have this idea that I, I get love in return for something or I give you love in return for something. We often feel that we have to earn the grace from God which has been freely given. Let me, let me explain. When someone that you love the most in life hurts or betrays you, it's nearly impossible to look at them the same. Why? Because we are humanity. We want to. But we place conditions on love. We place conditions on love like a commodity to be traded. To be traded. We, we, we look at actions that make us feel loved, not just words that are spoken. And a lack of action causes me to feel neglected. We place the same commodity then on the heart of God. So we, we look at the way, uh, we, we, we look at love in, in perspective to our relationships and we place that same thing on who God is and we, we look at his heart and go, man, can he really love us unconditionally? Can he really love me for who I am? I need to work for his acceptance, work for his approval, work for his grace and mercy. There's entire denominations of Christian faith that are centered around confessions and penance. So when I sin, I've got to go and confess, and then I've got this penance. I've got certain things I've got to do to work back into the good grace of God. And that's not the way that God operates. His love is unconditional. He did not place any conditions on salvation except that you and I would believe. So Jews come back on the scene. They say, you can't eat this bacon. Oh, and by the way, you need to be circumcised. Can you imagine? In fact, that's what we're going to talk about today uh, in Next Steps. In order to be a member of the movement... No, I'm kidding. Let's move it on. So they come back and they start placing conditions on the people of the Church of Rome and what their salvation needs to entail. And Paul goes off. He loses his mind. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation, look at this, to everyone who believes. Not everyone who doesn't eat bacon. Not everyone who grew up in traditional Jewish household celebrating Passover and Pentecost and all the, the holidays. Not just for those that have been circumcised, but also for those who are not circumcised. It's for everyone who believes. That's what Paul is starting off the book of Romans with because the church is divided and they're divided about the wrong things. They're divided about the things that God doesn't even care about because the human condition says what God says isn't enough. The human condition always goes back to what it's always done and the human condition places conditions on salvation. But that is not God's heart for you and for me. The God condition, listen, gives grace unifies and redeems everyone. The God condition gives grace, and I might add, freely. His grace is something you nor I ever can earn. We do not deserve His grace. We were born flawed. We were born with a sinful condition. Otherwise, we wouldn't have needed a Savior. Listen to me. There is an entire theology that is being taught right now at the highest levels, blowing up on social media that says you were born inherently good. And that, my friends, is a lie. If that was true, we wouldn't need a Savior. But we were born with a sinful condition. When Adam and Eve chose to walk away from the principles of God, when they chose not to be obedient to God, 
sin entered humanity. Therefore, ergo, we need a savior. But the human condition places conditions on salvation because we can't think through the lens of unconditional love, unmerited grace and mercy. But that's what grace is. You cannot earn it. You cannot be good enough to receive the grace that God gives freely. He chose to make it a free gift. So look at me. There is nothing that can separate you or me from the love and the grace and the mercy of God. So when Paul hears about what's taking place in the church in Rome, he's thinking, what are you doing? The grace of God, salvation of God. Look at this in verse 16 is to everyone who believes. Look at that word. Everyone, right now, wherever you're at in the sanctuary, on the count of three, whether you're driving in your car, on the count of three, I want you to say the word everyone. Are you ready? One, two, three. Everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Not based upon what family you're born into, not based upon your heritage, not based upon your track record, not based upon what you eat, or don't eat it's simply to believe Paul goes on to the Jew first and also to the Greek why did he say to the Jew first because Jesus showed up in a Jewish community to reach the Jews first but he didn't stop there remember Jesus is always tearing down the walls and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous shall live by Faith, the God condition, gives grace freely. And then it unifies. That's God's heart always. Unity. The Holy Spirit always works through unity. That's why the devil's number one priority is division. And he likes to work division in every and all scenarios. He knew exactly what he was doing in the church in Rome when the Jews got back. He made sure that they were uber ticked off about that dude eating bacon on a burger. I'm telling you, that is the heart of the enemy and God's heart is to unify. But what I love is that he doesn't just stop with grace. He doesn't just stop with unity. He continues with redemption. That is God's heart. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Grace for everyone, no matter your past, no matter your story, you are loved. You are loved. Unity for the body of Christ. That's why he calls the church a family. Because we need each other. We, we have to learn how to set aside our non-essential petty differences so that we can work together, grow together, love each other, inspire each other, challenge each other, encourage each other. Why? Because God has a plan for us. We're the sounding board, the message piece of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we aren't able to preach the gospel, live the gospel, speak the gospel, display the gospel, then who will? But when we get so caught up in our frustrations and our petty differences, then we get off track of God's heart for us and for the world around us. And we're more focused on what we're disagreeing about, more focused on what we don't align with, more focused on what we're frustrated with than we are about the fact that Jesus gave each of us 
grace we don't deserve, and salvation from our sin. He paid the ransom for our sin. We have to remember and remind ourselves what matters most. And that's what Paul's saying when he said, I'm proud of you, but I want to remind you of who you are. So where have you allowed the human condition to creep back in? Where have you allowed the petty issues to sneak back into the way that you think and the way you interact with people? Hey, listen to me. Where are you saying that what God says isn't enough? Where are you choosing which principles and biblical ordinances and, and, and God's heart for you, where are you becoming selective with what you will accept and not accept? Where have you returned back to doing what you've always done? Are you, are you placing conditions on salvation for people in your world? Or are you just remembering that the God condition gives grace freely, unifies, and redeems? Man, let's, let's be a church who can set aside petty differences. Let's be a church who can focus in on the, the heart and the plan of God for each other and for the world around us. And let's be a church that's all about the redemptive love of Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, listen, before we go any further, I want to talk to some of you who need to begin the journey with Jesus right now. There, there's a starting point. I say this every week because I think so many times we lose sight of the fact that we, we do have to start with saying yes to Jesus. The, the gift of God's grace is for everyone who believes. In fact, the Bible says that when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is who he says he is, we will be saved. And there's some of you in this room, some of you watching online, who've never begun that journey. And there's some of you right now, look at me in the eyes, you may have begun a journey like that a long time ago, but you've been running from God. The human condition has crept back in, and now's the time to come running back. I want to challenge you in a moment. I'm going to pray a prayer. I do this every week. And I want to challenge you right where you're seated, right where you're watching. Just make my prayer your own, maybe in a small whisper or the quietness of your own heart. Do me a favor. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around, nobody moving. If that's you and you need to pray this prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, just make these words your own. Just say, dear God, I know you're real. I know you love me and you chose me. I'm not perfect. Would you forgive me? And now make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around, nobody moving. Would you do me a favor? Right now, I just want you to let us in on the journey. Just a small statement of faith while every head is bowed, every eye is closed. In a moment, I'm going to count to three. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, when I get to three, would you just put your hand up and put it right back down? You're just saying, Pastor Kerry, I prayed that prayer. I'm starting that journey, that fresh start, that new beginning. If that's you on the count of three, raise your hand. Don't you dare be afraid. It's the greatest decision you've ever made. On the count of three, ready? One, two, three three. Lift your hands. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And God, we just love you and we thank you for what you're doing in this place. We're excited about what the future has to offer. God, help us when the human condition creeps back in. God, when we want to choose our own way, when we want to dilute or to change what it is that you're saying, God, help us to follow you in everything that we do. God, we thank you for the God condition that you give us grace 
freely, that you unify us, God, and that you redeem us. So we look to you now as the author and the perfecter of our faith. You do a work in us that no one else can do. In Jesus' mighty and precious name I pray, amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.